We're going to be looking at Judges chapter 3 this morning. Last week we looked at Judges chapter 2 and the failure of one generation to pass the faith down to the next generation. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to camp out in Judges because I believe that Judges is a timely word, a relevant word for where we are in our ministry here at Coral Ridge. And so if you would turn your attention to the reading of God's word, we'll begin in Judges chapter three, beginning in verse seven. The pattern of Judges is simple. The people of God rebel. God hands his people over to foreign oppressors. They cry out for help and deliverance. God provides a deliverer, a judge. But as soon as the deliverer dies, the people rebel again. This happens 12 times, hence 12 judges in this book. We read about these three, three of the 12 judges here in Judges chapter three. This passage is a passage to call us to never forget. Judges three, verse seven. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord, their God, and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishtayim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rishtayim eight years. Skip ahead to verse 12. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of, the, king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Malachites and went and defeated Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. The city of Palms, by the way, is Jericho. It's interesting, Jericho was the first city to be delivered to Israel. In a one generation, it was gone. Verse 14, and the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. The Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute to him, to Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented tribute to King Eglon of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded silence. All of his attendants went out from his presence. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in the cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God to you. And he arose from his seat. And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, thrust it into his belly. The hilt also went in after the blade and the fat closed over the blade for he did not pull the sword out of his belly. And the dung came out. That's your memory verse for this next week. Then Ehud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. And when he had gone, the servants came. And when they saw the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he's relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited till they were embarrassed. But when he did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them. And there lay their Lord dead on the floor. The grass withers and the flower fades. 
but not the word of our Lord. It stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Never forget. There are th some things, if we are to forget them, are absolutely devastating. We're coming up on the anniversary of 9-11 in a few weeks. And one of the mottos that came out of 9-11 was never forget. Never forget the lives that were lost. Never forget the heroes that rescued thousands from perishing. Never forget the cost of freedom. It's a problem if we forget certain things. And that was precisely the problem with the people of God in the book of Judges. They were a forgetful people. And the ultimate problem with Judges is that we see over and over again, 12 times, people rebel. And they rebel by forgetting the Lord and crying out and being delivered, but over and over again, being delivered right back to the foreign gods. But truth be told, not only did they forget, but even we as the people of God forget as well. We are a forgetful people. So what is it that we are to never, ever forget? Let's study Judges 3 together. First thing I wanna point out in our passage is that we are to never forget the Lord. Verse seven of chapter three, it's plain as day, very straightforward. What did they do? They forgot the Lord. The people of God forgot the Lord, and this doesn't mean that they failed to believe. I mean, fail to believe for a Jew would, uh, would be like failing to uh, identify yourself as the chosen people of God. Uh, they professed faith in Yahweh. Uh, they believed in the word and the statutes and the law of the Lord. So it doesn't mean that they failed to believe but it means they functionally forgot the Lord. Yes, technically, they were believers. Technically, they professed faith in Yahweh, but the functional reality was this, that the Lord, Yahweh, was not central to all of their lives. So what did this look like practically? Well, what we read in the book of Judges, for instance, we read that if the weather was bad, the people of God would not look to Yahweh, but they would look to the weather gods of the Canaanites. Maybe they were having a bad season. They couldn't grow crops. Or maybe the women could not produce children. Instead of looking to Yahweh for provision, the Lord that they professed to believe in, they would look to the fertility gods. And so on and so forth. Technically, the people of God, technically believers and professors of Yahweh, but functionally, they were Canaanites. Oh, pastor, I'm glad we don't suffer the same. I, I mean, pastor, I'm, I'm glad that we are so much more sophisticated that we don't give ourselves to the Canaanite gods, that we don't give ourselves to the pagan gods of our culture and our society. I mean, we would never bow down to a goddess like 
Artemis, a, a, a goddess that demands that we worship her through the sacrificing of our children. I mean, we would never do something like that. Well, I guess if you just turn a blind eye to the 65 million children that have been aborted in our nation. Uh, maybe if you turn a blind eye to even inside the church, how we work ourselves to death and we'll sacrifice our children and our family in the name of success and achievement, I guess then we wouldn't be as guilty as the people of God in Judges. Here's the true reality. Whether it's in the story of Judges or in our stories today and in our lives today, we might come to Coral Ridge on Sunday morning and technically profess faith in Jesus Christ, but the question is, functionally, do we live like it all throughout the week? Technical Christians, functional Canaanites. What happens when we're anxious? Do we look to Jesus or do we try to fix things on our own, manipulating people and situations in order to get our way, in order to fix our situation in the midst of anxiety? What happens when we feel insignificant? Do we look to Jesus, the one who defines our identity? Or do we just work more in order to gain a name, in order to be recognized as significant, as one who achieves things? Maybe you're bored and you just tend to shop or subdue the pain. Whatever it might be, it is not a question of whether we profess to believe in Jesus Christ or not. The message for you this morning is do we function like it? Does Jesus Christ, the Christ that we profess on Sunday, is he our functional reality all throughout life? So that when we handle tragedy and we handle illness, when we raise our families, the way we treat our spouses, the way we think about the cultural and moral issues of our day, it is all through the lens of the person and work and truth of Jesus Christ. We forget the Lord. And we function more like the world and more like the Canaanites. If somebody was to examine your life Monday through Friday, knowing what you profess today, knowing what you profess on Sunday, would there be evidence of it throughout the week? We could say, yes, 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 pastor, I believe in the Trinity. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the infallible word of God. I believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, yes, 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 and yes. But unfortunately, the functional realities of your life look more like the world and more like a life that has given themselves to the pagan gods of our culture. He might be our Lord on Sunday morning, but not our Lord throughout the rest of the week. So what do we do? What was the answer for the people of God in Judges? And what is our answer today for those that forget the Lord? Well, first we need to admit that it's true. Part of the series of repentance for the people of God in Judges chapter three was just acknowledging reality. Part of repentance and part of turning is acknowledging that this idea of idolatry is nothing new. It happened in Judges and it happens today, even inside the church. It's acknowledging that yes, even my heart is prone to wander. Even my heart is prone to leave our first love. 
that yes, there was a time where my heart was burning with zeal and passion for the Lord. And I have left my first love. So the first thing we need to do is to turn, admit that it's true and repent. But then we need to prioritize times of renewal that we need to build into our lives. If we are people that are prone to forget the Lord, we need to build into our lives and daily habits, rhythms, rhythms of renewal. What is a rhythm of renewal? What you're doing right here, corporate worship, because all throughout the week, you are tempted to believe the lies of our world and the lies of our culture. And you need at least one time a week with other brothers and sisters that are fighting the good fight to come and sing and to pray and to fellowship and to sit under the word of God, to be reminded that we have left our first love and we need a time of corporate renewal as the people of God. We need daily study of the word of God. If you are cracking your Bible open once a week, that will not do. It is meditating on the word, what? Day and night. Deuteronomy chapter six, when you rise and when you lie down, when you walk along the way, Joshua chapter one, don't depart from it. You turn from your left or to your right, do not depart from the word of God. It is what feeds our weary souls. Your heart and soul is like a bucket and the world is emptying that bucket every single week and every single day. And you need worship and daily Bible reading and meditation to fill up that bucket to the brim so that you can say it is overflowing with the reminders of the goodness of God. We are a people that are prone to wander, prone to leave the God that we love. So the first thing we can never forget is never forget the Lord. The second thing this passage points out is that we are to never forget the Lord's ways. When we read beginning in Verse 12, we read of one of these judges, one of these deliverers that would be raised up to deliver the people of God. And we're introduced to one of these judges and his name is Ehud. Now Ehud, you need to understand, is the least likely candidate to rescue the people of God from foreign oppressors. Why? Well, we read something about Ehud in verse 15. He's known as the left-handed man. But what it literally says in the Hebrew is that he has no use of his right hand. Now, we don't know the significance or the circumstances, but either Ehud had lost his right hand, he was maybe not born with a right hand, he was somehow paralyzed on the right side of his body, but regardless, he had no use of his right hand, making him the least likely candidate to overthrow Eglon and to redeem and restore the people of God. I mean, a left-handed man, what good could he be in the kingdom of God? But the lesson here is this, God uses the most unlikely people to do audacious things for his kingdom and for his glory. Paul tells us that his ways are not our ways, that God chooses the weak and foolish things of this world for his glory and for the advancement of his mission. Who in the world would pick a left-handed man? Our God does. Our God is in the business of using left-handers. 
And so what does Ehud, Ehud do? He comes into the palace. They have a party for King Eglon of the Moabites. And we're told that he's fashioned that dagger on his right thigh. And he says, I have a message for you, King Eglon. And once all the people have departed, that dagger is thrust into his belly so that the fat rolls, we are told, just roll over the dagger. And the fat rolls over the dagger and his bowels spill out. Now, some of you, I heard it, you laughed when I said he was a fat man. And rightfully, you should. Do you know it's Jewish tradition when they're reading Judges chapter three that they all laugh out loud? Why? Because it's a reminder to us that our God will not be mocked, that our God uses left-handers, the most unlikely people to do amazing things for his kingdom, that God uses left-handed people like Ehud to accomplish his mission for his great name. We laugh along with God saying our God and his mission and his plan will not be mocked, that he will even use a left-hander like Ehud to accomplish his mission. You see, God is not interested in winning a popularity contest. God is not interested in doing things according to our ways or according to our philosophies. God says, I have an entirely different way a greater way, a higher way, but a way that will blow your mind. My ways are not like the world. I will use left-handed men like Ehud. And God has been using left-handers throughout redemptive history. You see, the reality is, if you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ, it is not because of your competence. It is not because that you're smarter than the guy out there. It is because you're left-handed, helpless, without any hope except for the sovereign mercy of God chasing you down the hound of heaven, redeeming you, redeeming left-handed people like you and me. For 60 years, God has been using the left-handers of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church to do what seemed impossible to the world, but what is possible with God. This is our hope, that God uses left-handed people like you and like me and even Ehud, because God loves them and chooses to use them for his glory. We are to never forget the Lord. We are never to forget his ways. And third and lastly, we are never to forget the Lord's heart. Remember the cycle over and over and over again. Twelve times people rebel and God delivers they rebel and God delivers. 12 times through the book of Judges and twice here in Judges chapter three, in verses 10 and 11, God delivers his people. In verse 30, God delivers his people. Why? Because the heart of the Lord is a heart of deliverance. That just when you thought it was over, just when you thought the kingdom of God was on the brink of extinction, just when you thought that there was no hope for the people of God, again and again and again and again, our God delivers. It is foolish to think that we can mess with God. It is foolish to think that you can mess with the people of God because we serve a God that delivers over and over and over again. You see, the story of Judges is this, 
that behind every judge and behind every deliverer is a delivering God that sovereignly orchestrates the affairs of men and women for his sovereign purpose. Behind every deliverer is a delivering God. This is the heart of our Lord. But he not only delivers his people out of distress and judges, he delivers his people throughout all of history. And he is the God that can deliver you today. You might be here this morning and you're walking with the Lord and and you've been a Christian for years, but just like the people and judges, you forgot. You forgot the Lord. You, You forgot that the Lord that you worship is in the delivery business. And you might be a Christian here this morning, but you're in despair. I'm here to tell you this morning that your marriage and your prodigal children, they do not intimidate God. That your broken marriage and your broken family, that your illness and your disease, your financial situation does not deter the Lord. Our Lord is in the business of rescuing and redeeming and delivering, yes, those that have hit rock bottom and struggling with despair. I challenge you to believe yet again that this is the Lord that we worship. This is the Lord that we believe in, that he is not deterred nor intimidated by whatever you are facing right now. Believe it yet again that the heart of our Lord is a heart that delivers his people again, again, and again. But more than likely, there are people here or people watching at home that have never placed their faith never place their trust in Jesus Christ. I'm here today to tell you that there is a deliverance far greater than our our external circumstances. The Bible tells us that we need to be delivered, each and every one of us, from sin and death. That the curse of humanity is that sin and death have entered the world and that only Jesus Christ, through his life, and his death and his resurrection can offer us the hope of deliverance both now and forever. And if you are here this morning and you have never surrendered to Jesus, if you're here this morning and you have never placed your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ alone, there is no deliverance other than looking to Jesus to be saved. The good news of the gospel is this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that God made him who? Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin so that in return we might become the righteousness of God. Pastor, what does that mean? It means on the cross, Jesus, holy, pure, undefiled, sinless, that God the Father treated him as if we were supposed to be treated. That he treated Jesus on the cross as if he had sinned and in return treated us as if we were the very righteousness of God. On the cross, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. God treats Jesus as if he were us, and he treats us as if we were Jesus. There is no deliverance, no hope, no life without surrendering your life this morning to the person and work of Jesus Christ. A pastor was walking into a restaurant one afternoon. He encountered a homeless man on the front step. 
begging for money. And the pastor said, I'll make a deal with you. I will buy you lunch, but under one condition, you sit with me and eat lunch together. And so the pastor and the homeless man sat there for two hours. At the end of the meal, the homeless man stood up and said, I need to thank you. As good as the meal was, I need to thank you for treating me like a man. I need to thank you for treating me with worth and dignity. I have not experienced that my entire life. Christian, brother and sister, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. God says to you, I will buy your salvation through my son and I will invite you with all of your mess and with all of your suffering and all of your brokenness, I will invite you to sit down with me and come and eat at my table. And you say, but God, I stink. And God says, it doesn't matter. Come and let me lavish upon you such a love and mercy that you will actually be treated like you were my very son, like you were my very daughter. Our God, this God is the God that offers himself to you through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And may we believe yet again that our God, yes, he's in the delivery business. Never forget. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, I thank you that you are the God that loves to deliver. You love to deliver your people. And you are the God, there is no one like you because you do not ask us to clean ourselves up. You do not ask us to get ourselves right. But you simply ask us to come just as you are. Come weak and weary, sinner, come home. If that's you this morning, I don't care whether you're 12 or you're 82, it is never too late to come home. The God that is presented to you this morning, the God who spoke his word to his people this morning is the same God that offers you life to the full both now and forever. You simply have to confess Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe it in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and this is the promise, you will be saved. Doesn't matter how weak, doesn't matter how broken, doesn't matter how sinful. The God who offers himself to you through his son, Jesus Christ, is the God who offers himself with no strings attached. Confess your sin. Confess all of the ways in which you have been trying to deliver yourself. You've been trying to rescue yourself, but to no avail. Would you surrender and look to Jesus and have the hope of everlasting life today? Today is the day of your salvation, the day where you come home, the day where you say, I can be born again, a child of God no longer an orphan, but a son, a daughter of the king. How about today? Right here, sinner, come home. Amen.